This ad-free podcast is part of your Slate Plus membership. Lucky you. Welcome back to Big Mood, Little Mood. I'm your host, Danny Lavery. We've made it to the end of the year. This is our last show of 2022, and I'm feeling a little reflective. In fact, I'm reflecting on a few of the memorable letters that we took on this past year. You might be thinking, Danny, are you about to share those letters with us in some sort of best of Big Mood, Little Mood episode? Yes, I'm absolutely going to be doing that. Before we start with the letters, I do want to thank you all for listening and supporting the show, as well as for sending me your questions, your updates, your weird folksy family phrases that uh, are now rattling in my head as if I were raised with all of you. I couldn't be more grateful. can move out of the realm of the sort of like abstract and slightly more into something like tangible and and personal because our next question is very much about like I think different views of like feminist um ways of looking at uh heterosexualities but that has like a very specific actual husband there's a real husband in this one um so so that that makes it a little more concrete and I'm very interested in hearing your thoughts on this one. Would you mind reading it for us? Sure. The subject of this one is retro rose-colored glasses. My husband and I met over 40 years ago when I was a cashier at his dad's store. My husband immediately took a shine to me, and although I wasn't interested at first, he was a handsome college graduate who only had eyes for me, and I was eventually won over. He would bring me gifts, change the schedule so that we were working together, compliment me both alone and to customers, and was visibly hurt whenever I tried to give him the brush off, but kept coming back, all of which I took as romantic. We've told this story for years, and it's always had a positive reception. I recently was talking to one of the current cashiers, a young lady in high school, and I told her our story, and she was horrified. She seemed to think that I was a victim, and that he used his power as my superior to coerce me. She said that if our son did that to her now, she would contact the labor board for harassment since we don't have HR. And I realized that she is the same age I was when I started working there. I love my husband and don't suddenly consider him a monster. But seeing that young woman made me realize how young I had been and how if anyone did keep pursuing her at work after she'd made it clear she wasn't interested, I would be very upset and I'd do everything I could to keep them away from her. It's not like I'm going to leave my husband, but I'm having trouble figuring out how I feel after seeing things from this new perspective. I want to talk to him about it, but I can't imagine how to bring it up without making it seem like I'm retroactively accusing him of something. I did fall for him, but his behavior could have been seen very differently if I hadn't come around after a few months. Can you help me reconcile my kind, loving husband with this upsetting behavior? Where do you want to start with this one? (sighs) I underlined the phrase, all of which I took as romantic in the the beginning of this letter after she describes this litany of things that her husband did that maybe through contemporary glasses seems horrifying. Um, and to me, I feel like that's the key that unlocks all of this. It's messy, but it's not messy. This is, this is, it's a difficult question, but I think... She loves her husband, 
She loves their marriage. And she found his behavior to be romantic, which is not a green light for every man to pursue a woman using these methods. But I don't think she needs to feel like she has to reconsider the foundations of the great love of her life. Maybe that's oversimplifying. I feel like I'm a bad feminist on this episode. As long as we all feel bad about ourselves, I think that's the goal. Um, (laughs) No, I was just thinking about it in terms of the first letter and this kind of question of like, I I think there's an important distinction to be drawn between using our judgment and discernment, using like feminist frameworks for thinking about lives can be useful. But at the same time, I, I don't want people to feel like that it is incumbent upon them to give a referendum on everybody else's life. Like, I I think I share your sense here of like, if this letter writer really does feel peaceful and happy about how the two of them got together and is just worried that like, because now she's shared this with a younger person and feels like, oh, but if this were happening right now, I would have a different reaction. That that means she has to go back and and develop a referendum. and Or that if she did develop a referendum, that she would then have to say, if our marriage began under circumstances that I now see differently, that it therefore also follows that our marriage is a bad one and he is a bad person and I must leave him. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that any of that is required here. Um, that said, I also don't want to just say to this letter writer, yes, I, I can answer your question. I will help you reconcile your husband just because I'll, I'll let you do that letter writer. Like you love your husband. I don't give a shit about that man. I don't know him. Um, <laughs> this is good. The advice columnist's prerogative is like, I don't care about anybody involved here except you, man. You yeah. can love him if you want. You can hate him if you want. I don't care. I mean, if, 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 if I'm honest, and maybe this is again from the sort of like money question of the first letter, my sort of interest was maybe the most piqued by just the details of like, it's a family store. It sounds like I still work here after 40 years, but we don't have like HR and all our cashiers are like high school kids. And I was just like, I hope your employees unionize. I hope the girl (laughs) who is your family cashier talks to her other colleagues and that they start a union. I mean, I mean, good for the current cashier to like say, listen, you don't have HR. So if this happened to me, I would contact the labor board. Like, I mean, yeah, this young lady- She's probably already working on a union right now. Right, good for her. I mean, that's terrific. I don't want to say it was a different time because that's not a good excuse. But in certain key ways, I think that the behavior that is not just accepted, but encouraged by men towards women was dramatically different 40 years ago than it is now. And I think- there is sufficient saturating media available to young men right now informing them that this behavior is super creepy and fucking weird and not a way to pursue people who you're interested in and not respectful of their nose and not respectful of their boundaries and not respectful of like the actual level of their interest. That if someone were to pursue in this like aggressive rom-com, I don't take no for an answer style right now, I would read that person very differently than I might read a person who was doing this in the 70s or 80s, 40 years ago. Yeah. I mean, if anything, I think my first piece of advice would be to the letter writer. I don't know what your current job is uh, at your husband's family store, but my guess is you rank higher than the cashier. So I would say whether you're somebody's direct supervisor or simply more like high ranked within the organization, Quit telling the story of how you and your husband met to 
people who work for you. Partly because it's like, I, it, to, to me, that was just a little bit like, that's a weird spot to put a high school cashier in to say like, here's how my husband and I got together. He followed me around. Like, why are you talking like that to your employees? Um, I think is my bigger question. And so like, I think that's a weird level. I've, I've had bosses before who would get like really personal and like ask me to provide feedback on their personal lives. And I found it really uncomfortable and so I just wonder, like, was she trying to, like, work? And you were just like, hey, have I ever told you the story of how I married your boss? Because just, like, that feels weird to me. And I, I wonder if maybe part of what she was kind of, like, dealing with in that moment was, like, I've now heard a story at work that distresses me and makes things more uncomfortable for me at work. And now she has to deal with that. Well, and I think that part of what the, the letter writer is dealing with here in terms of tension, I mean, she framed it in the letter as how do we help her reconcile her sense of her husband with this new understanding of that type of behavior is upsetting. I think that there's a, an even deeper tension that she's currently facing, which is that this has been a story that she and her husband have loved and that they've told often over the mm-hmm. years and that they kind of, I would imagine, consider you know foundational to their mythology as a couple, both literally, but also that the telling of it is a way where they you know, show off a facet of themselves and a part of their history that they take pride in and that they mm. take a lot of pleasure in and that kind of reinforces the nature of their current love. And all of a sudden, she's not getting pushback on the actual fact of this history. She's also getting pushback on the fact that she's told the story over and over and over again and said, you know, isn't it so cute? Isn't it so sweet? Isn't it so romantic that this is how he won me over? And holy crap, have I been telling all these people this? And they've just been thinking, look at this like pushover. Look at this victim. Look at this poor woman who had no agency. And she doesn't think of herself that way. She thought of this as a romantic story. And suddenly that has all been upended and I think that I want to say that if it is romantic to you, it is a romantic story. I think that the the takeaway for me here is not that the way that you met is garbage and that you guys need to like reestablish an origin story. Maybe just like don't tell this story as often now that you maybe understand that people from different contexts and generations might view it with a little bit more wide-eyed horror than dewy-eyed romantic yearning. Right. Or if you had previously really played up the no, 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 because that like communicated to other people romantic devotion, you don't have to emphasize that part of the story in the same way uh, where you're like, and let me tell you the number of times I said no and he kept coming back. Yeah. Um, you can condense and truncate. It, it it makes me think of the, I don't know if you spend as much time um, procrastinating by reading like horrible things about incels on the internet the way I do. but. Um, I'm like very committed to melting my brain in terrible toxic ways. But there's this like really gross sort of very misogynist meme format, this cartoon of like a handsome guy kind of flirting with a woman at a cubicle and she responds with a heart. And then the second panel, it's a sort of grotesquely caricatured, unattractive man flirting with the same woman in the cubicle and she's like dialing 911 on her phone. And it's, you know, the unacceptable double standard of like the Chad versus the gross, Jimmy? terrible, misogynist man. Yeah. Um, there is an actual truth underneath this meme, which is not inherent to physical attractiveness. But I think that, you know, when you start learning about consent, if you take courses or read books or, you know, sit in a powwow about affirmative consent and about the, you know, how do you introduce the prospect of a romantic relationship or a sexual relationship with somebody in an era where you want to really be mindful of their ability to say no and to not screw up any future friendship or anything that you have with them going forward. There is this fundamental notion that advances are welcome until they aren't. 
right? And in order to get anywhere with someone, you have to at some point say, would you like to have dinner? Or I find you very beautiful or whatever it might be. There has to be some form of overture. And as long as there's room for the person to say no, then you move on from this. So so the place where this becomes tough for me is that, you know, she wasn't interested at first and he kept pushing. So we don't have her saying no, 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 no in the version of this story that she's told us. She eventually was won over. She was interested. She did find him attractive. Like, I think that if it had been someone who she did not see a potential romantic future with, I would hope, I would like to believe, and I would like her to believe about herself that she would have said, I don't like this. I need you to stop. And I know we can't assume that everybody is going to have the strength and the willpower and the sense of self instilled in them, you know, by society to be able to do that. But Or the backup, right? Like if somebody's dad is the boss. Exactly. It's not always exactly. a case of just like personal strength. Sometimes it's also like external factors as well. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, 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 no. Thinking. No, that's absolutely a huge part of it. And I don't want to be like, you know, sort of Pollyanna-ish and all's well that ends well about this. But like, you liked him. You liked him enough that you viewed these as compliments. You didn't view them as infractions or infringements. You viewed them as compliments. You eventually went on a date with him. You guys got married. You fell in love. And now you guys run the same store where you met. And that is a beautiful story. And it's your story. And it doesn't minimize the truth of your love. It's unfortunate that you had to learn in such a harsh way that this story lands differently to people who have grown up in different eras and who've had different experiences with people maybe pushing their boundaries in ways that are much more invasive and much less welcome. But this doesn't change you. It doesn't change your husband and it doesn't change your love for each other. I think those are all really helpful and useful uh, ways of looking at this. I want to just leave open the possibility because I, I agree. It seems to me like the letter writer is much more on the side of, I like my life. I like my partner um, than otherwise. But, you know, you do say letter writer, you call it upsetting behavior. And maybe you're just reflecting what you heard from the cashier. But, you you know, that's a phrase that certainly carries a, a different kind of meaning. And you say, um, seeing that young woman made me realize how young I had been. And if I saw someone else doing this to her, I'd be very upset. So I also just want to leave room for that letter writer, which is if part of what you are wondering is if I start thinking about this, I'm afraid that I might reassess some elements of my kind and loving husband. And that frightens me because he's been my husband for 40 years and I love him. And so I would just encourage you, if that is on your mind at all, to remind yourself that you are under no obligation to do or pursue anything that you don't want to and that you don't feel ready for. But if you do want to eventually maybe talk to one or two trusted friends about some of this, to gather some more of your own thoughts and to ask your husband, can I talk to you about this? I'm worried that this will make you feel defensive. So I want to preempt that by just saying, I'm not asking you this in an accusatory fashion. I just want to like re-evaluate some of it. I want you to feel like you have freedom to do that. I hope that your husband would be able to have that conversation with you and that he would be able to say, you know, you know, to hear you out. I'd rather, I'm like predicting already what he would say. I would like for him to say that like he was willing to hear you out and to care about a changing or a reassessment of previous feelings. So again, not to say like this must mean you, you retroactively hate it now, but if you do look back and you think, well, you know, 
some of what I would have called persistent and eventually endearing, I still think of as persistent and endearing. And some of it I think was not okay. That's, you know, that's one possibility. You may find that you look back and you think, I actually really don't feel okay about this. And this feels big. At which point, you know, you would need to be able to talk about it for your own well-being. So I I don't want to say start thinking about this differently. And that's a guarantee that you're going to change your mind on the entire last 40 years of your life. Just that I, I want you to not feel like you have to preempt your own curiosity. And the fact that you might change your mind based on seeing somebody else um, who who was your age at the time. That is allowed. People sometimes reassess things in light of seeing somebody else who was their age at the time. And and I think, Helen, you're right. There's so many uh, open-ended elements to this letter that I don't think it's, you know, I, I can very well imagine a, a scenario where the two of them got together and it was mostly pretty sweet and charming. And that perhaps the reason that you didn't find any of that off-putting was because you kind of liked him. And it is just, it is okay to kind of like somebody, you know, it is, that's not bad. And I don't want you to feel like you have to um, renounce having liked him. Um, I just want you to feel a lot of freedom to reflect on those early days of your relationship and say, how do I feel about it on reflection? You know, I think also if the letter writer wants something concrete to do right now, which I think might help resolve some of this sort of emotional asymmetry that, that she's trying to figure out right now, I think that putting into action that realization that you had, that if you found out that your cashier was being pursued by someone whose pursuit she did not welcome, that you would put a stop to it. Like commit to that, commit to that. Pay attention to who is chatting to your young, you know, female employees. Check in with them periodically and say, hey, how are you feeling? Is anything making you uncomfortable? Is there anything we could do to make you feel better? If something comes up, be the kind of person who supports them and who is there for them and who helps make sure that if they say, I'm uncomfortable, your job as their employer and as someone who has lived through this, albeit with a happy ending, is to step in and say, I am going to be the buffer between you and your discomfort. I will make sure this doesn't happen again. Be the person who maybe wasn't there for you when you were young. If someone had said to you, hey, is this guy really bothering you? Do you want us to do something about this? Maybe you would have said no. Maybe you'd have been like, no, actually, I kind of like it. It's sort of sweet and charming. And maybe you would have, upon reflection, said, you know, it's kind of getting on my nerves. But nobody asked you that. Nobody was offering to be there in your corner. And what you can do right now and for the rest of your life is be that person for everyone else. Yeah, and and just, you know, beyond that letter writer... I just really want you to feel like you are allowed to reflect upon and think about your own experiences without preemptively stopping yourself by saying, what if my husband feels accused? You sound like a pretty thoughtful, conscientious person. You don't sound like on a whim you have decided to denounce this man. So I I am not worried about you uh, behaving like unreasonably or unwell. And I, what I do see is just somebody who's like really afraid to even just like think about her own history for fear that it will upset her husband. And I don't want to read too much into that and assume that that means he's a jerk. But, you know, as long as you are speaking kindly and lovingly, you are not, you don't need to go beyond that. So whether or not he may or may not feel accused at some point in the future, I don't think is is on your head. I think right now, like the only things in front of you are to think about your own feelings and memories, um, to seek out trusted counsel from someone whose judgment you admire, and to really just think about 
yourself before you worry about how your husband may or may not react to it. Um, again, I get I, I, Helen. I thought that that point about this is part of their like self mythologizing as a couple was really insightful and spot on. I can understand why it might feel painful to reassess that, but gosh, if you've been together happily for 40 years, you'll absolutely be able to find other ways to think about your sort of foundational sense of yourselves as a couple. You'll be able to replace that story with other different, better stories. And if, on the other hand, this does reflect on some things that he did wrong or that he should not have done when the two of you were getting together, that you would like to now, much later, work through together, I hope that is also possible. And I hope that um, you know, there's no time limit on saying you hurt me or I didn't realize this at the time, but this hurt me. Um, and you can do that sometimes in a way that still like recuperates the relationship. Other times it doesn't. I can't make you a promise or a guarantee one way or the other that you will be able to or that I think you should reconcile your kind, loving husband with this upsetting behavior. But I will say that if he is fundamentally kind and loving and wants to know you in your heart and to take care of you and to be a partner to you, if you were to share these thoughts with him, my hope would be that he could work past his initial maybe defensive reaction and thank you for telling him, listen to you, hear you out, take you seriously, ask what you might need from him, offer to you know, I don't know, talk about it. Some Like, again, like, what would you potentially ask? Like, you say, I don't want to leave him. And so it's not even like you'd be saying like, oh, I want you to do penance for 20 years. Or I want you to go to every cocktail party we've ever been to and say, hey, just kidding. I was a jerk when we got together. Like, you're not asking any of those things of him. You just want him to know a new question that you have and and a new sense of what, what could we have done differently that, I don't know, I think it's often really hard to ask people to engage with the past because so often when people hear that, they take that as, oh, you're, you're asking me to denounce myself. And, and I think it would be better for many people, relationships, couples, et cetera, if somebody could hear something like this and say, thank you for telling me, what should we do next? That's possible, I think. Um, and I hope that your cashiers unionize. Thank you for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, if you can, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice and conversations with the guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $1 for your first month. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our Big Mood, Little Mood listener question form, or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening.